Now, before we spend some time thinking about this passage, particularly Daniel 9 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Uh, if you're a young person, there are some worksheets that Libby has, there's a few toys up the back. If you're a really young person and you want to know your parents, uh, there's a creation which you can do that as well. Um, parents, we love having kids in church. They're very welcome to stay. If you feel like you would use, make use of the creche, by all means do so. Uh, during term times, we normally have kids' church, so the kids will go out into their own program at this stage. Over the summer, we give the leaders a well-needed break, and so the kids will stay with us in church this morning. Let me pray again as we turn to Daniel chapter 9. Heavenly Father, thank you for this part of your word. Thank you for its encouragement. Thank you for its rebuke. We ask, please, now, as we listen, as we think, that you would change our hearts and our minds, that we would be people who love you, and that we would be people of prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever met a prayer warrior? A prayer warrior. I mean, don't worry if you've never heard that term before. It's one of those particularly Christian kind of terms. Uh, we don't use it particularly much anymore either. A prayer warrior. Someone, someone who prays. Someone who prays perhaps a lot. Someone who prays particularly faithfully or regularly or dependably. Perhaps someone who's disciplined in prayer. Someone who prays really well. Can you think of people like that? I was reflecting for this week, trying to think about the prayer warriors that I've met in my life, and I thought, I thought of a few people. There was one man I knew who, whenever he got up to pray at the front of church, his prayers would be a series of Bible readings and prayers and Bible readings and prayers, Bible readings and prayers. And that can sometimes be a little bit tacky. That can sometimes feel a little bit contrived or made up. But with this guy, it, it really felt like a conversation. He knew his Bible so well that it felt like God speaking and then him replying and then God speaking again and then him replying and so on. It was a prayer warrior. I knew another man who had some difficulties in life. He had some disabilities. He really couldn't hear very much at all. He couldn't see very much at all either. You never really knew if he could tell what was going on around him. But after church each week, You'd see him sitting on his own in, in, in a corner of the church. Kind of imagine up in our kids' section as we're walking out. And if you were to go and sit next to him, you'd hear him praying. And he'd be praying for what had just been spoken. He'd been praying for the message that had been delivered. Praying for the people who were present that they would have heard this message and that they would respond appropriately. He was a prayer warrior. I knew another man who was biblically quite illiterate. Uh, and I think the biggest problem was he just couldn't read very well. And so we'd be in, in a Bible study in a small group and there'd be discussion going on and it, you could see it was just all going over his head. He couldn't read enough to keep up. He couldn't... But when it came to prayer time and he prayed, it felt like Jesus was sitting next to him. It felt like this deep, intimate relationship that he shared his close friend and his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He was a prayer warrior. Do you know those sorts of people? See, I wonder, are we raising up the next generation of people who pray? I find prayer hard. There it is. I find prayer hard. And reflecting on it, I think there are three reasons why I very rarely pray. Quite often I'm busy. I'm busy doing things, trying to get done what I really should be praying about. Sometimes I'm tired. 
And the last thing I want to do is an activity that I have to close my eyes for because I quite possibly, well, I'll wake up a few hours later instead of praying. And regularly I think that I simply don't believe that prayer will accomplish anything. I find prayer hard. Now the best way to learn to pray, I think, is imitation. It's to find these prayer warriors, to see the people who pray well and to copy them, to learn from them. Now we've been uh, studying the book of Daniel in the last month or so and so far Daniel has covered these extraordinarily large world events. We've seen visions of kings. We've seen kings come and go. We've seen Israel taken out of their land and in exile, in captivity. It's been this massive picture. But over the last few chapters, we've zoomed right in on Daniel's study. And this week, we see one of the greatest prayer warriors in the Bible at work. Hey, Daniel, he was prepared to pray even in the face of lions. And we get to hear his prayer. I want to point out four features for you of Daniel's prayer. Uh, you've got a, a, an outline inside your handout if you want to follow where we're going, if you want to take notes. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, four features of Daniel's prayer to inform our prayers, to teach us to pray, to motivate us to pray, to encourage us to pray, to inspire us to pray. Firstly, Daniel's prayer is prompted by God's word. Prompted by God's word. See, Daniel, as we saw, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he read the Bible. And as he read the Bible, so it turned him to pray. Let's read again, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 sets the context. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. So it gives us the timing. They're still in Babylon, but now the Medes and the Persians have taken over power. In the first year of Darius, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Okay, he's read his Bible. He's seen one of God's promises in the scripture. So, verse 3, I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition. Notice in passing, Daniel is a man of visions. He's interpreted visions for other people. He's received visions himself from God. Visions that are then interpreted by angels for him. And yet even Daniel, this man of vision, knows to seek God in the Bible. He doesn't go looking for a vision. He doesn't go seeking somewhere else that God will speak to him. He reads the Bible. See, this is the common way that God speaks. The normal way. To listen to God is to read the Bible. Chapo once illustrated like this. He said, if the phone is ringing, you don't stick your head in the microwave. Well, it's common sense, right? The phone's ringing, you pick it up, you listen, you talk. God speaks in the Bible. We don't need to go searching for some other way of God speaking. And as he reads the Bible, so Daniel turns to prayer. As we hear of the character of God, we pray God's praises. As we read his commands, we confess that we so often fail to meet them. As we read of God's promises, we claim them in prayer. 
That's exactly what Daniel does. He reads this promise that Jeremiah spoke, that the exile would last 70 years. Now, you could be forgiven for expecting Daniel at this stage to sit on his butt and do nothing. I mean, after all, God's promised. And if God promises, surely it's going to happen. But no, God's promise is not an excuse for inactivity. On the contrary, promise prompts prayer. There you go, a bit of alliteration for you. Promise prompts prayer. Now, why is that the case? Why is it that when God has promised something, we pray about it instead of being fatalistic and sitting back and just letting it pass? Well, it's because God uses means in the world. Have you ever thought about that? God could do what he wants in the world supernaturally. He could just say, okay, today I want that person saved. Uh, I want that person saved. I don't want that person saved. Uh, And really what I want to do is change these nations around a little bit and I want this person to go over there and this person. And he could just do it and all those things would happen. But how does it really happen? Well, this person is saved as someone preaches the gospel to them. This person is healed as someone prays for them. God uses means in the world and one of those means is prayer. Our prayers, your prayers, my prayers. It's an incongruous picture. This lone man sitting in his study, closed off from the world, praying, changing the world. And yet that is the power of prayer. Or better said, that is the power of God through prayer. Do you believe this? Do I I believe this? I I honestly think that this is one of the reasons I so rarely pray is because I struggle in my unbelief that my prayers are going to be used by God to change the world. Prayer is not self-help. We don't don't pray for the sense of us feeling good because I feel that I really need to pray right now. We pray because that is how God works in his world. And so God promises us, I will keep you close. I will never leave you or forsake you. So what do we do? We pray, God, please never leave me or forsake me. God promises, I will save people as the gospel is proclaimed. So what do we do? We pray, God, please do that. Please do what you've promised. As we read of God, as we hear God's word, so we turn to him in prayer. Now, uh, I don't know if it's, if it's most of our generation, certainly a previous generation had this thing called a quiet time, a devotional, a daily time that you would set aside to read the Bible and to pray. We don't seem to talk about that very much. And it had its problems. I mean, legalism uh, is, is a bad thing as well. And to say, well, every day you've got to read and pray and read and pray and if you don't, you're not really a Christian. Well, that's got its own problems. But perhaps we've gone too far the other way. And we don't have regular times of hearing God speak and praying in response. Well, Daniel's prayer is prompted by God's word. Secondly, it appeals to God's mercy. His prayer appeals to God's mercy. His prayer, it's not loud, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it doesn't demand things of God. But it's a humble, contrite prayer of somebody who knows their place. Daniel knows, he recognises the rightness 
of God's judgment against his people because he knows that he is sinful. Read with me verses 4 to 11. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We haven't listened to your servants, the prophets. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries that you have scattered us, because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, our fathers, we're covered in shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We haven't obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us. All Israel has transgressed and turned away, refusing to obey you. Daniel knows his place before God. He knows his own sinfulness. He confesses it. And this is Daniel. This is Daniel. In chapter 1, he was the one who refused the king's food so that he wouldn't defile his body. He's the one who in chapter 6 said, I'll face lions instead of stopping my God. Here is the righteous one standing before God and saying, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I haven't obeyed you. I haven't treated you right. Now we do confessions of sin from time to time. We, we're Anglicans, so we do it kind of corporately where we say these words together. But again, do we really believe, as Daniel did, that we are sinners before our God? See, Daniel, Daniel didn't compare himself to others. Isn't that often the way we do? Oh, David, you say I'm a sinner, but, well, I mean, look at those people. Look at them. I mean, look, look, just look at them. Just look at them. Look how horrible they are. Look at the things that they do. Look how evil and wicked they are. I'm all right compared to them. I'm a good person, aren't I? Compared to, I mean, look at those, look at them. And Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel says, look at God. Look at the bar that he has. Look at his righteousness and his perfection. And compared to him, I'm nothing. He knows that God is righteous and that he is not. And so when he comes to pray before God, he doesn't come to God and say, because I am good, you've got to give me things. He doesn't appeal to God on the basis of his own righteousness, but he appeals to God's mercy. Verse 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Or verse 18, oh, sorry, verse 17. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions. For your sake, O Lord, look with favour. Give ear and hear, open your eyes. We do not make the requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. See, it's one thing to hear God's promises and to claim God's promises because you think you deserve them. And it is yet another to know that you don't and so ask God for mercy. I grew up in, uh, in Argentina in South America and uh, I've got a, a whole bunch of friends who are in different parts of the world and in places in their life as Facebook friends, as you do, one of the few things Facebook is good for. 
And that there's a few of them who are in sort of some sort of ministry role throughout, well, the whole of the Americas. There's one lady I know who's now a pastor at a church in Florida. Uh, it's a Spanish-speaking church, so it's kind of a, a Latino church. And she regularly posts prayers on Facebook. I don't know if these are prayers that she has written or if they're prayers that she's taken from somewhere else. But the prayers go a little bit like this. Oh God, bless us, for we are your people. Oh God, bless our children, for we are righteous. Oh God, bless us, give us wealth, give us prosperity. I don't know if the arms, you, don't, you kind of don't get them on Facebook, but that's how I imagine these prayers going, right? They are prayers that claim God's promises, yes, but on the basis of the person's righteousness. Oh God, look at me and who I am, and so give me blessings. Instead of knowing, Lord, I am a sinner, so please, would you have mercy on me? I know you've promised these things, God, but you know what? I don't deserve them. I really don't. In your kindness, would you give them to me? That's not a lucky dip. It's not that one day, if God's feeling merciful and you happen to ask on that day, you're going to get what you asked for. And then the next day, God's feeling a bit vengeful. So he goes, well, actually, I don't want you to ask for that. So smart instead of blessed. I mean, it doesn't work like that. God gives according to his character. His character of righteousness and mercy like the loving father who wants to give good gifts to his children, if only they would ask. Daniel's prayer is prompted by God's word, appeals to God's mercy. Thirdly, is concerned for God's reputation. And I think that this is one of the strongest rebukes in this passage for us. Picture yourself in Daniel's shoes. Uh, it's 500-ish BC, so Daniel's been in exile. He's been a prisoner of war for nearly 70 years now. Uh, we're in the Middle East somewhere, so it's probably hot and dusty and dry. And Daniel knows that the time for the war to be over has nearly come. The armistice is about to be signed, the amnesty, that's the one, and he gets to go home after 70 years in exile. You could be forgiven for expecting Daniel to pray, God, get me out of here. Rescue me. Take me home. I'm sick of being a prisoner here. Will you get me out now? Bless me. Fix my situation. You could be, I mean, if anyone has the right to pray that sort of prayer, Daniel does. And yet, that's not what Daniel asks. He's not concerned for himself, but for God. Verses 15 to 19. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger, your wrath from Jerusalem, your, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Do you get what's going on? God, you rescued us out of Egypt. You made a nation so that the whole world would know that you are God. This nation of different people that have a powerful God who acts and who calls them to holiness. That is the purpose of God rescuing us. You made this nation. They have your name, your city, your holy hill. 
But now we have sinned and so the nations scorn us. And so, Daniel prays in verse 17, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes. See the desolation of the city that bears your name. We don't make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy, O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, don't delay. Because your city and your people bear your name. Daniel is concerned that God's name be honoured. He's concerned for God's sake, not for his own. And so he prays, God, would you bring about that which you have promised for your sake? I hate sponsorship. Has anyone been watching the cricket? Anyone cricket fans? Anyone been watching the tests? I love Boxing Day. There's nothing better than you just sit there and you just watch cricket all day. You shove chips in your mouth. Yeah, there's a few other people for whom that's exactly the same thing, right? Or tennis. Anyone watching the tennis? The fast four or whatever it is that's on the moment. Sponsorship drives me nuts. These days, you watch the Bunnings replay on the Tui's new scoreboard at ANZ Stadium for the KFC cricket. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? I don't even know what Homebush is called. Is it still ANZ Stadium? Is it Telstra Stadium? I don't know. The sponsor changes all the time. But the thing is, the company has attached their name to a particular product or a place. So let's run with Homebush Stadium. I don't know if ANZ is still the, the sponsor. or not, but no, no one's paid me to say these names um, as opposed to TV. Now, ANZ, their reputation is tied to this stadium. So imagine what would happen if it started to decay and degrade and the facilities were really rubbish and then one day one of the stands collapses and people die. Whose reputation is at stake? Well, A and Z, they are the ones who have attached their name to something that is now gone. In the same way, God's name was attached to Israel and for Israel to now be in exile really makes God look rubbish. He's not powerful. He's not able to save. He's not holy. He's no different to any of the other gods. And Daniel can't stand that. And so he prays, God, your name must be honoured. For your sake, please, will you act? Now think for a moment of what your prayers are like. My prayers. What are the things that we pray for? Dear God, will, will you do this little thing for me? Dear God, I'm concerned about this thing. Can you give me this little thing that I want? Will you, will you smooth my path here? God, will you do this thing for me? Daniel's prayer is a strong rebuke. Are we concerned as we pray for God's reputation and God's honour and God's plan in this world? To tell you the truth, I almost don't know what that looks like anymore. I mean, certainly out in our society, what it means for God to be honoured, we are so far removed from it. But it must begin in our lives. It must begin in you and me saying to God, God, I want you to be honoured in my life as I go about what I do. You know what it's like. You're at work or school or wherever it is and you, you do this little thing that you kind of know you shouldn't and you get caught out and what do, they, what do they say? Oh, I thought you were a Christian. 
You ever had that? Whose name are you dishonouring there? It's not your own. It's Christ's. And so we pray, God, please, would you make me a holy person? Would you remove sin from my life and make me more like Jesus? Not for my sake, but for yours, because I bear your name. Daniel prays concerned for God's reputation. Try it. Next time you're praying with someone in a small group or whatever, think to yourself, what does it look like for me to pray in line with what God wants with the world rather than what I want with the world? And you end up praying prayers that are really quite big compared to the small ones we usually seem to settle for. God, you've promised to save people. I want you to save people, not for me, but to show your glory, your mercy, your salvation. God, I want you to cut sin out of life, not for me, but for your sake. God, I want you to heal this person, not for me, but to show your power. Concern for God's reputation. Well, fourthly, Daniel's prayer is answered by God's grace. And uh, thankfully, we haven't got much time left, so we'll cover this bit quickly. Now, the second half of this passage, as Daniel is praying, God sends an answer. Now, I think that this is one of the single hardest passages to understand in the whole of Scripture. How's that for a claim? Uh, and so I'm not going to get into it at much depth. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. We'll kind of work some things out, but you will probably have questions. By all means, we can keep talking and keep discussing. But prayer is answered by God's grace. Verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the people, making my request to the Lord, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight. He instructed me and said, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Consider the message, understand the vision. Now, God answers prayer usually not quite as quickly and directly as this. And to be perfectly honest, I'm kind of glad that that's the case because if an angel came and brought me this vision, I'd have no idea what to do with it. (laughs) But here we go. Verse 24, here is the answer to Daniel's prayer. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now let's talk briefly about timing. Again, we've done this in the last couple of chapters. What is this 77s about and what does that mean? Now again, you can start to try and work out, is this an actual time period? And plenty of people do. And they go 77s, well if you go 70 times 7, that's 490. And for some reason they like making it years rather than anything else. So 490 years. And and can we find something in history that matches this gap of 490? Let me give you an example. Uh, If you go looking for the command to rebuild the temple, as the passage says to go out, you, you look in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is pretty much the only place where a command is given to rebuild the temple. And so you go, Nehemiah, what happened 490 years after that? And you end up at 36 AD, which is a bit of a shame because nothing much happened in 36 AD. Ah. So what you do is this. Their calendar back then, you know the, the extra six hours that we have in a year? That kind of means we have to have leap years. Apparently they didn't have those. 
And so their years were slightly shorter than ours. So you start fudging it a bit and you can make it so that 490 years from Nehemiah ends at 30 AD. And that's a great year because that's when Jesus came. Perfect. That's what it's got to be talking about. And on and on you go. You see, if you start looking for those sorts of time periods, I, I can find two or three other little blocks of the same that start somewhere seemingly significant and end somewhere... Se- and you only have to fudge them a little bit, by and large. Now, if you haven't picked up on it yet, I don't think that that's the case. I don't think this is supposed to be a time period that we define clearly. This is a symbol. 77s, this, this large, perfect, complete period of time before this comes about. Let me illustrate it for you. Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive? Should I forgive seven times? And what does Jesus say? You should forgive 70 times seven times. Now does that mean uh, I get to forgive Edwina 490 times and the 491st I get to keep a grudge? Well, of course not. It's a symbol for this large, perfect, complete, this is the amount of times you are to forgive. And so the same thing is going on here. There is one illusion that's worth pointing out. In the Old Testament, for for Jews, for Israel, there was this concept of the year of Jubilee. Anyone ever heard of the year of Jubilee before? A few people? Right, the nerds? I love you all. The year of Jubilee was this. Every 49 years... It's kind of a cool concept. I like it. Every 49 years, Israel was supposed to reset back to square one. And so on the 50th year, uh, if you were a slave, you were freed. If you had bought land from someone, you had to give it back. If you had a debt, that debt was cancelled. So the whole of Israel kind of just got reset all the way back to square one. There's a few exceptions, but that's basically how it worked. It was supposed to be a year that reminded Israel of God's mercy and God's generosity, and God's care for Israel. So I wonder if there's an allusion to that here with the 49, the 490. After this period of time, the period of God's jubilee will come. And look, the details are in there. There's this one week with the rebuilding of the temple. There's the 62 weeks where nothing much happens. And then there's one more week where this Messiah figure comes, God's appointed king, and he brings in an extraordinary era. See, we read quite quickly over that list. Let me read it for you again. This is what is going to happen after the 77s. Finish transgression. Put an end to sin. Atone for wickedness. Bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. I take that means to finish vision and prophecy. The revelation of God is complete. To anoint the most holy. What an extraordinary picture of God's reputation being upheld. Of God bringing to pass all the things that Daniel longed for. See, I take it that this answer is God's gracious answer to Paul, to Daniel's prayer. Daniel prays, God, please, for your sake, will you act in the world? This exile, will you bring it to an end? And God says, you think the exile ending is good? Let me show you what's going to come. Let me show you the real salvation. And of course, what Daniel could only know in a vision, we have seen, we know in the Lord Jesus, the Messiah whose death and resurrection brings all of this to pass. 
God graciously answered Daniel's prayer in a way that he couldn't have even begun to imagine. All right, Daniel's prayer, prompted by God's word, appeals to God's mercy, concerned for God's reputation, answered by God's grace. Where are we? I find prayer hard. Now, I don't want this to be a sermon that's driven by guilt. You know how it works. The preacher gets up, he talks about prayer, and you're sitting there thinking, ah, oh, here we go again. Yep, yep, that's me. I don't, I don't pray. I'm guilty. Yep, okay, all right. I'm going I'm to resolve New Year's resolutions. This year I'm going to pray. And then the next time you hear the preacher preach about prayer, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that's right. Eh? I was going to pray, wasn't I? And we feel guilty again, and we go again. I don't want this to be one of those sermons. I don't want Daniel's prayer to make us feel guilty. I want it to inspire us. Here is a vision of a man who loves God, wants to serve his God, wants to live for his God, such that he will immerse himself in God's word, pray earnestly in response, concerned that what God is doing in the world would come about. A man who grasps hold of God's promises and prays that God would do them. I want us to be inspired by God's promises to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a prayer to pray, God, hold tight to me for the rest of my life. My word is not in vain. It is a sword. It is powerful. It convicts people. It convicts them of sin and righteousness and judgment. It saves The gospel is God's power. I will save as you proclaim the gospel. Will we pray that? God, please, would you save people as we preach the gospel? Concerned for God's honour and reputation. Now, having said that, there is a place for discipline. It's not a word we talk about. We don't even talk about discipline very much in the Christian life anymore. We're all a bit kind of freer than that and we don't want to be legalistic. But there is a place for discipline. I find prayer hard and so one of the most helpful things I can do is make myself accountable to someone. Are you in a small group where the group members will say, are you praying? Do you pray with your family, with your husband or your wife? Do you have a small network of people around you who are prepared to say, do you pray? I don't think that's an evil thing. It's not a wrong thing. We need discipline. Daniel's prayers were prompted by God's word. Will you set time aside regularly to read the Bible and to pray? As you hear of God's character, as you read of his commands, as you claim hold of his promises. Daniel's prayer appealed to God's mercy. Do you know who you are and where you stand before God? That you ask his blessing only because of his kindness, not because of your righteousness. Daniel's prayer was concerned for God's reputation. Are those your prayers? Are you concerned for what God is on about or the little things in your life? Daniel's prayer was answered by God's grace. And so God will answer our prayers too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are righteous. You are good. You are merciful. You are holy and just. 
You hate evil and sin. You will not stand for wickedness. You are the God whose salvation was won at the price of Jesus' blood. We are sinful. We know how far short of your commands we fall. We know how often we fail to claim your promises and seek to live our own way instead. We know how often we dishonour you. So Father, please, would you forgive us? As you have promised to those who come to you in Jesus, would you wipe away our sin, our record of wrongdoing? Would you give us Jesus' righteousness? Would you transform us day by day in holiness? Father, please make us people of prayer. We ask for this kindness. We don't deserve it. But we ask that in your mercy, in each one of our lives, we would pray and pray earnestly. Father, we ask this in the name of your Son. Amen.